Welcome to the Stuttering Mind podcast. I'm Rama Siva, author and speech coach, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on stuttering and stammering. You can find the episode show notes, your free seven-step guide to expressing yourself and lots more information at stutteringmind.com. Let's get started. This is episode number five. In today's episode, we have Alan Koshery, who is the former manager of tennis star Novak Djokovic. He had a dream to graduate from a top university and then become involved with world-class athletes. The problem was that he had various disabilities, so he wasn't allowed to go to an ordinary Swiss school as many of his friends. Despite the odds being stacked against him, he was determined to change his fate. I'm honored to have Alon with me on Stuttering Mind. Welcome, Alon. Thanks, Rama. I'm very happy to be here. Could you please share your amazing life story? Well, it's a long story, but uh, when I was a small kid, I was crazy about tennis, and me and my dad we used to watch tennis matches together, and I always dreamt of um, becoming a tennis player, but I never actually physically practiced or did any kind of uh, engagement to become a pro, but it was in my head I wanted to be part of this world. And then there were many different little bits and pieces. My father, who did business in Russia, created a tournament there. And as a young kid, that got me the um, opportunity to see tennis live and become friendly with some key players. And then over time, I recruited my first client. I became involved in the organization of tennis events. And uh, one thing led to the next. Um, I managed three world number one tennis players. I uh, organized um, maybe close to 100 tennis tournaments. I own my own ATP event that I just organized now in Shenzhen, China, and um, I really did what uh, was my dream job. I say was because I'm starting to evolve and I'm starting to look for new directions, but I was very grateful because for 20 years, I did exactly what I dreamt of doing. Fantastic. And at which point did you realize that everything was in your mind and you could actually create your own reality and live life of your dreams right now on this earth? Well, I had a few key moments in my life. Um, When I was a small kid, I had learning disabilities, and they wanted to send me to a school for kids with special needs. But my mother had a lot of belief in me, and she said, no way. She sent me to an international school, and I became very dedicated to learning. And I I insisted to change to a Swiss public gymnasium. Um, I did that, and then I matriculated, and then I went to London to study uh, at London School of Economics. I did my um, New York bar exam. So I really realized that thanks to the belief of my mother and the belief that I had, I was able to um, exceed everyone's expectations and become very good at learning. So this was one of my first key moments. The second key moment was working with athletes. You know, I see um, how most of the guys, they all work very, very hard. 
But I realized that some spend 10 hours practicing and then they do all sorts of other things but don't get the results they want. And some guys, they just know how to work smarter and they understand that professionalism is a lifestyle and it includes taking care of your body, mind, heart, and soul. And that was my second big trigger. Actually seeing a guy like Novak Djokovic, who people didn't think will become a world number one, get through various obstacles and then become the best tennis player in tennis and one of the best of all times was a second key insight. And the third insight I want to share is uh, one that I wrote a best-selling book about. And that was, while being a sports agent, I lived a glamorous lifestyle. We went to nightclubs. I met many girls. I dated many girls. But somehow I never managed to find true love. And in my head, I had this dream of getting married, having kids. And then I spoke to people, I read books, and I started learning about how the mind works and how we have invisible programs that we create. And unless becoming aware of them and changing them, we get the same kind of results often no matter what we do. So that was the third big insight. When did you start learning or doing self-development work on yourself? I would say it's now about... I mean, I was always interested in learning, but really the kind of self-development work that you and me are talking about, mm. I would say approximately 10 years. Can this be taught? And how long does it take for change to come in a person's life? If someone is looking to change their life, to improve their lives, to achieve their full potential, can it be taught? Absolutely. I think it all comes down to... Uh, creating habits, habits of action, habits of thinking, habits of communicating with people. And uh, all it takes is to start with one or two small habits and then slowly increase the habits and then really influence a lifestyle. And that's when we then experience compounding results. And one good habit that I recommend anyone who wants to change is to read books from people that we admire or from uh, um, the direction we want to achieve. You know, there are so many wise people who've walked through all the problems and issues and dreams that we all have. So, and, and they compound all their knowledge in a book that takes several hours to read. So you get 20 years of knowledge in a two, 300 page book. So I really try and make it a habit now to read one book a week. That's my goal. I, I usually manage. I'm, so I get so many different insights from different people. And if I just get one good idea per book that helps me improve my life, it makes me very happy. And that's something that I think anyone can do, even if it's just reading 10 minutes first thing in the morning or 10 minutes before going to sleep. I read that you first met Novak when he was 14 and you invited him to the Thailand Open, which you were running and Novak came with three full-time employees at the age of 17. What could you see in him at that young age? Well, first of all, that he came with three people. You know, all the other players were laughing at him. They were thinking, who's that rookie coming with uh, three uh, staff members? Like, who does he think he was? And um, he lost in the first round a close match. It wasn't bad for a 17-year-old. Some guys even said, not bad, that guy. You're like, like pretty solid. Mm -hmm. um, what always characterized him 
was a, a deep sense of commitment and conviction. At the same time, he had some serious limitations. Um, he used to have some health issues. He was physically not one of the tougher players. He could barely compete, you know, these long, grueling five-step matches. He struggled. He often had injuries. He was definitely not one of the fitter guys in tennis. And so he still came very far. He became number three in the world. Like you said, he was behind the legends of Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal. Even when he was number three in the world, I would say that almost nobody thought he will ever be better than Federer and Nadal. And after losing to these guys many times at major events, I think at one stage he made a decision that he would need to change his lifestyle and his entire surrounding various kind of things, upgrade his um, physical abilities. I think he even committed to becoming maybe the fittest guy in tennis from one of the guys who was struggling. And he transformed himself in 2000. 11, I think, he came out, he, he, in, in the end of 2010, he won Davis Cup for Serbia, which was very emotional for him, and then 2011, he won a second Grand Slam, and he, he, had, he, he became such an authority that people were shocked, and up until this very day, he, uh, he has continued, and he's currently the world number one, and he's struggling a little bit lately, showing that he also has his human side. But uh, he is an example of personal transformation. And that's why it is very fascinating to have witnessed a kid grow up from a young boy to becoming the world's best tennis player and maybe one of the greatest champions of sport of all time. Fantastic. So why did he realize that he needed to work on his mind? Yes, you said that he wasn't beating the top two players in the world. What made him work on himself? I guess uh, frustration of not uh, having hit a rooftop. You know, uh, T. Harv Ecker mm -hmm. speaks about um, money blueprints and having like a, a thermostat that mm -hmm. determines how much money you will earn, meaning that if you make more money than your internal thermostat, you'll find ways to lose the money. And if you make less than your internal thermostat, then you'll find ways to earn more money. And what do you think sets that thermostat? It's our beliefs and a lot of invisible scripts. And I guess someone like Novak realized that he reached physical and mental boundaries. And in order to break them, he would kind of have to reinvent himself. And you know, our body is in many ways limited, but our mind like, like has unlimited capacity. You know, if, uh, if uh, Bill Gates earns trillions of dollars, do you think he's trillions of trillion, how do you say, trillion times smarter than like the people around him? Or do you think it's a few things that he just, does a little bit better and a few inner uh, convictions that he has that other people don't share. I think it's the latter. Mm -hmm. So did Novak get any mentors or did he 
get any guidance that he needed to work on his mind? Or did he just he, realize? He, uh, he had uh, various people who helped him with various things, and I can't go into much detail, but like mm -hmm. he had a, a guy who uh, helped him create a new diet, and he became famous for his gluten-free diet. Mm. He had people showing him meditations and visualizations. And what really characterizes champions and people like you and people who strive for more, they're open to continuous learning and to to uh, finding people who can bring new inspiration, new ideas. And Novak definitely belongs to those kind of people. Fantastic. Thank you. So um, what are his habits? Did he always visualize his success from a young age? Look, I think uh, everyone changes throughout age. And when he was a young boy, he probably didn't use visualization as much. But uh, I am pretty sure that even like towards the end of our relationship, he started using visualization. And I'm pretty sure that right now it's a very consistent practice that he and some of the top other athletes do. Because through visualization, we can, like, uh, we can train without training. We can prepare ourselves for difficult moments. We can live through them. We can get uh, accustomed to the situation. And we can literally program our mind to performing the way we'd like to perform. And there's a lot of studies, you know, with golf players and basketball players mm -hmm. where they ask uh, people to do uh, certain practices. And, of course, practicing physically brings a lot of results, but even practicing just mentally um, help people become better at skills, even help people grow muscles in their fingers and other areas. So it's just, it's absolutely fascinating what we can do with the device between our ears. Mm, indeed. What habits, mindsets have helped you to be successful, both in your life and in business? Well, I think visualization is one key habit that really transformed my life. And then there's something I like to do once a week, and it's still not easy for me, but I like to go to a quiet place and spend an hour in silence and then just watch the kind of thoughts that start coming up in my mind. And mm -hmm. this practice really helps me become aware of new ideas that I have, of fears that are holding me up. Um, similar to that, um, I sometimes journal, and it also helps me um, really process the many things that happen in my head. And just to sum up, I think anything that our mind, so that we become more aware of what goes on inside of our head, can be very, very helpful. Mm. Oh, and of course, I have to add that I meditate every day, and that of course, transformed my life, without a doubt. Do you do a TM meditation? I do different kind of meditations. Um, one of the first kind of meditations that I started with was uh, Headspace. You may know that app. I highly recommend it. Mm -hmm. Now I just sit for 20 minutes and either focus on my breathing, or right now I use the six-phase meditation from uh, Vishan Lakhiani. Mm -hmm. Great, great. So um, what is the mindset of the top tennis players and the successful entrepreneurs? I think there's many aspects to it, but if I had to sum up the most important mindset for success, 
then I would term it the growth mindset, similar to what Carol Dweck mentions in her book. A growth mindset really means that we believe that through effort, we can achieve a lot of things and it's not through innate talent. And that successes are there to build on and setbacks are there to learn from. Thank you. And what parallels in tennis and entrepreneurship can you see? Well, tennis is probably one of the toughest sports because it really challenges you mentally and physically. Mm -hmm. You're on your own in a stadium. Everybody's watching you. Your entire lifestyle depends on how you perform because you can't just switch on and switch off performance. Everything is connected to everything. Mm -hmm. And so I think to be successful in business or to be successful in sports, you need to create success habits. I think, um, you know, if you want to be an entrepreneur and you still have a second job, like a nine-to-five job, you need to create productivity habits. You need to create high-performance habits to feel energized. You need to develop social skills. You need to develop habits to understand what the most important things are to focus on. And, uh, and I think that is where really sports and entrepreneurship are so similar. And I think the one thing many people struggle is um, being able to really focus on the things that are most important to their success. Mm -hmm. So obviously you must believe there's a formula for becoming a successful entrepreneur. Um, one formula, I'm, I'm not sure. I think the formula of consistent work plus continuous learning. Mm -hmm. And you're now a entrepreneur. So how do you go about marketing your business and what has been your most successful form of marketing so far? Well, you know, I have different elements of business because I run a professional tennis event in China and the marketing there goes through sponsorship and media work. At the same time, I'm now, uh, I started two online platforms, my personal blog, which is at alonsblog.com, A-L-L-O-N-K, no, A-L-L-O-N-S blog.com. Mm -hmm. But I have a second blog called Business Dad, and I'd love you to share those links. It's business-dad.com. Mm -hmm. And the purpose of that blog is that I think I've always been fascinated with high performance. Mm -hmm. But the biggest high performance challenge I think people have is being a loving, engaged parent while continuing our big aspirations and dreams, whether business, charity, or anywhere else. And the way that I think my blog, which is quite recent, has been, been so successful is that I really focus on adding as much value as I can. And I think that is the ultimate formula for success. Always over-delivering, adding as much value as you can, and building a relationship with your customers and really showing that you care about them. Indeed. What has been your most satisfying moment in business? It definitely was um, seeing my uh, tennis players, whether Marat Safin, Novak Djokovic, Dinara Safina, some other ones, winning big events like winning Grand Slams, especially when they happened surprising. Those were the big moments because tennis was such a big passion in my life. Be with guys who 
run the biggest events in sports and seeing what work they put into that kind of work, that has been uh, definitely one of my big highlights. Awesome. What was your biggest mistake? I've made so many, I can't tell you. And uh, the key is that I always try and learn from uh, mistakes. But mm -hmm. I've made investments that didn't work right. I worked with people who weren't always honest. I've, I've made the usual mistakes that many people do. But the key is to uh, not beat ourselves up, to learn from them, and to always try and move forward. You know, with every mistake, it's ideally you make two steps forwards with every step backwards, and then you're still progressing. Indeed. So how do you overcome those moments of doubts that stops many entrepreneurs who have great ideas? What pushes you through? I try and talk to people, you know, express myself, um, express any doubts I have, um, talk about limitations that I see. And when you are surrounded by the right kind of people, they give you like hope, encouragement, belief. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that motivates me and that puts me back on my feet. I also then like reading about people's setbacks and seeing how all the big role models in this world, they all had setbacks. And you know what? Tennis is a sport. Every week, everyone except one guy loses and suffers disappointment. And um, how you handle your disappointment is probably one of the biggest secrets to becoming successful. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. Do you have any mentors and how often do you connect with them? I always have, uh, since I started in personal development, I've always had mentors. I love mentors. I try and speak to my mentor at least once or once every week or every second week. Mm -hmm. Now I'm into um, mastermind groups and I have two mastermind groups and uh, we usually talk once a month. So it's twice a month because I have two different groups and we hold each other accountable and we push each other to always move forward. You know, I started in the past taking a, um, a trainer for the gym. But if we're going to train our body, why wouldn't we train our mind? Mm -hmm. And if someone struggles in relationships, why not take a coach for relationships? And if you struggle in your marriage and you have kids, for example, Mm -hmm. Why not give your family the gift and work on it as well? Mm -hmm. Every issue we have ever faced, other people have faced, and usually there are some who've overcome those issues. So why not benefit from the vast knowledge that these people share? And, you know, sometimes mentors can be expensive and some people can't afford it, although I think there's a lot of mentors also charitable mentors and people who mm -hmm. will help out and friends. But the, the second part to this is I encourage everyone to read personal development books and mm -hmm. nonfiction books. There's so much wisdom and knowledge and it's so easily accessible. Mm -hmm. And if a book is too much, then read someone's blog and get some inspiration every day. Mm -hmm. Ever since I do that, it really brightens up my, my day. Like, dramatically great great and how do you generate ideas how are you creative well the one hour thinking time that I have helps generate ideas mm -hmm. reading books talking to people looking what other people do and then thinking 
mm. what would it need that I would buy something? You know, what is it that like I wish would exist but I can't find anywhere? Mm. And then trying to work on a solution. And, you know, I feel that dads are becoming more and more involved, mm -hmm. but that there isn't much literature or blogging about how to become a true business dad. There's tons of material on working moms. So one reason I do this blog mm -hmm. is because it helps me become a better dad, a better husband, a better businessman, and learn the things that upgrade my life, mm -hmm. and then the opportunity to share them so that others can benefit as well. And that motivates me even more to learn more and become better. So it's a self-fulfilling cycle. Mm -hmm. Very true, very true. In one of your three books, I read that top performers are optimists. They have a sense of urgency. They delay gratification. And they have a winning team. They have unique rituals such as a gluten-free diet and they have time to recover. Could you uh, give us a bit more insight on these topics? Tell me which one you want, and I'll give you some thought. Okay, let's start off with the optimist part. Sure. So, you know, um, one of the founders of positive psychology, Martin Seligman, he researched um, salespeople, and he was uh, interested in knowing what makes a salesperson more successful. And he realized it wasn't education, it wasn't experience, it was how optimistic they were. Mm -hmm. And the reason optimism is so powerful is that optimists, when they're successful, they attribute the success to themselves, they see success as something that can trigger more success, and that can be pervasive, like influence all areas of life. And at the same time, Optimists see setbacks as non-personal, meaning they'll learn what they need to learn, but they don't think it's because of something to do with them that they're, they're just untalented or stupid or whatever. Mm -hmm. They see them as non-pervasive. So if you have a bad breakup, it doesn't mean that it will affect your business or anything else. And uh, they see um, setbacks as non-permanent. So they, they know how to recover quickly. And by, uh, so by being optimistic, by interpreting events in an optimistic manner, mm -hmm. you build more momentum and you recover quicker from setbacks. Mm -hmm. And you talked about the sense of urgency and delayed gratification. Could you expand on that? Yeah, well, maybe you know the marshmallow uh, test where they take uh, small kids Mm -hmm. And they put them in a room and they offer them a marshmallow and they say, if you can resist eating the marshmallow for 50 minutes, you'll get two marshmallows. Mm -hmm. One third of the kids couldn't resist. One third of the kids were like nibbling and one third of the kids managed to resist. Mm -hmm. And then they tracked down those kids 10, 15, 20 years later. And what they realized was that the kids that could delay gratification mm -hmm. for the longest became the most successful in their relationships, in their business, in other areas. Because the ability to control our impulses is really what allows us to make conscious choices. And uh, so delayed gratification 
and a sense of urgency doing what we want to do and not what we feel like doing really are uh, key ingredients for long-term success. Mm. And um, time to recover. Could you expand on that? Absolutely. You know, um, most people I know work and see life like a marathon, but with no ending. So they're continuously working and doing things and making reports and summaries and answering emails. When they come home, they make more phone calls and they just never get a break to recover. And eventually they crash, they have a burnout. So the point is that stress is good. This is how we push ourselves. But after stress, we need time to physically and mentally recover. So one way uh, I do this is I work in 90-minute blocks. I, I put my alarm clock, I work for 90 minutes. And then when the alarm clock rings, I take a 10-minute walk or do a short meditation. Then I do another 90-minute block. And then I might go for a walk, eat something small, and do another short break. And, you know, just think about it this way. If you go to the gym and you work out every day for 10 hours, your body is going to break apart. When you do weights, they usually say the next day you shouldn't work on the same muscles. You, you need to allow them to rest so that they can build. Mm -hmm. And we're the same. We need to really make recovery as big of a priority like our focused working time. Mm, that's true. I think I read that um, Roger Federer has one of the largest number of off days. I think I said that. Um, okay. I'm not sure if it's completely true, but I always tell like players who rank 60, 70 in the world, look, when you're like number one in the world, like a guy like Roger Federer, mm -hmm. you can choose your schedule the way you like and you, can, you don't have this need to play a tournament every week. And you can really choose weeks where you fully recover, where you spend time with your family, and then you recharge your batteries and you come fully motivated, completely hungry. And how many people do you know who go to work every day, like really ambitious, really hungry, really driven, really energized, and working at their optimal level? To me, usually it's the ones who do recovery, who ironically work less hours often produce the bigger results. And that's one of the biggest high-performance secrets that I ever discovered. Great. Do less and achieve more. Mm -hmm. On your blog, you talk about slowing down. Could you give us a bit more insight on that? Well, recovery is one way of slowing down. You know, we speed up our mind and then we take um, a little bit of, of time off. And, mm -hmm. you know, awareness, any, any self development book that you read speaks about the need to create awareness. And I think it's Viktor Frankl who says that between stimulus and response lies our ability of choice. And the way most people live is we get an email and we want to add it instantly. We'll interrupt everything we do and we multitask. One way to slow down is to learn to do one thing at a time, when you're talking to someone, being fully present, when you're writing something, then not allow yourself to be distracted. And then to consciously do practices like meditation or yoga or spending time 
in nature, taking walks that naturally will slow down your thinking. Fantastic. Where do you want to go from here? What are your future plans, Alan? My future plans are to spread the ideas of personal development, of loving each other, of flexible thinking, you know, tolerance for different opinions and lifestyles and sharing ideas to continue, you know, promoting these kind of themes to grow my blog, which is dedicated not only to dads, but to their kids, because by being better dads, we instantly help kids become better. And, um, and then from there, I'll see where life takes me. You know, there have been many different surprises, but so far, the last few especially, every year became more exciting and better than the year before. Definitely, I realized the big priority in my life is the ability to spend time with my wife, with my kid, hopefully in the future kids, with my family. So, uh, you know, I, I love the kind of lifestyle that allows me to both try and com contribute and share my experiences, but also my loved ones. So that's the direction I think that I'm heading towards. Excellent. Sounds perfect. Thank you again for your time, Alan. It's been fantastic Thanks. talking with you. And I'm Same sure here. we'll connect again. I love that. Thank you for listening. I hope you found it really helpful. You may also like the backlist episodes and show notes at touchinmind.com forward slash podcast. You can also get the seven steps to expressing yourself free guide at touchinmind.com forward slash free guide. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. You can connect with me on all social media platforms by looking for Touching Mind. Thank you again and look forward to connecting with you.